You're listening to the Relevant Truth Podcast. My name is Roger Mason. This podcast is dedicated to examining biblical truth. The Bible is overflowing with relevant truth useful in our everyday lives. Thus the title, Relevant Truth. The Bible was relevant to those that first heard it through the apostles and prophets. It is also timeless truth, which means that is relevant for us today in the 21st century. It is my hope that through this podcast, you will be both encouraged and challenged as we look at the Bible together. As we are approaching 2015, many people are making New Year's resolutions. They want to bring about some positive changes for the new year. They want to improve themselves in some way. A New Year's resolution often involves the breaking of a negative habit and the development of a positive one. In today's podcast, we want to examine a text in Lamentations chapter 3. It is important to review our lives, to take an honest, objective look at how we live our lives, and that is the big idea in today's podcast. Let's look at Lamentations chapter 3, reading verses 40 to 42 in the New Living Translation. Instead, let us test and examine our ways. Let us turn again in repentance to the Lord. Let us lift our hearts and hands to God in heaven and say, We have sinned and rebelled, and you have not forgiven us. One day I had a finger that ached in one of the joints in my hand. I concluded promptly that I had arthritis, so I went over to the public library and got a medical book and looked up arthritis. By the time I got through reading two pages, I had arthritis in every joint in my hand and also in my knees. It scared me and I turned the page and there I started to read about leukemia. I read everything that I could about leukemia, and before I finished, I knew that I had leukemia. I turned the page to ulcers, and I said, So now I know what causes that pain in my stomach. I've wondered about that. I've got ulcers as well. The only thing that I found in that medical book that I didn't have was a bee sting. I went straight to my doctor, who had examined me lots of times, and had always told me that there wasn't anything wrong with me. I told him about all of the things that I knew that I had. The doctor sat there for a long time before he said anything. And now that you've diagnosed your case so well, I'm going to give you a prescription, the doctor told me. He wrote it out and folded it up, and I headed for the drugstore. The pharmacist took the prescription and looked at it. He frowned and then scratched his head. And then he folded it back up and said to me, you know, I'm sorry, but I can't fill this prescription. We don't have this. I said, what? Aren't you the biggest drugstore in this part of the city? Yes, said the pharmacist. But the thing that the doctor has prescribed for you, we don't have. He handed it back to me and said, you take it and read it for yourself. I opened it and this is what it said. Walk a mile every day and come home and eat a nutritious meal and stop reading things you've got no business in reading. Here we have a dangerous, unhealthy, and unrealistic introspection. This is not the type of self-examination Jeremiah is talking about in Lamentations chapter 3. Instead, Jeremiah challenges us to get alone in the presence of God 
and to ask him to search us and help us in our self-examination. A careful, prayerful, objective self-examination which included God in the whole process. The book of Lamentations contains five lamentations of Jeremiah. These lamentations are like poems and the book of Lamentations came out of the days that followed the destruction of Jerusalem, the capture of King Zedekiah, and the deportation of Israel to Babylon. These poems expressed the depth of their despondency, grief, and suffering. Jeremiah sowed hope into these poems by exhorting the people of Israel to repent and turn back to God. The third lamentation is not all gloom, doom, and complaint. There are encouragements and hope to be found in this lamentation. For instance, let's look at Lamentations 3 verses 21 to 26. This I recall to my mind, therefore I have hope. Through the Lord's mercies we are not consumed, because his compassions fail not. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore I hope in him. The Lord is good to those who wait for him. To the soul who seeks him, it is good that one should hope and wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. If you read all of Lamentations chapter 3, you will discover that this poem is written from the standpoint of an individual. And so you'll read in the verses, I, me, and my except for verses 40 to 47, which uses we and us in all of those verses. Jeremiah identifies himself with the suffering community. There are some rich words of wisdom in the book of Lamentations. In verse 40, we are issued a challenge. Instead, let us test and examine our ways. Let us turn again in repentance to the Lord. That's Lamentations 3 and verse 40 in the New Living Translation. The word instead used here in verse 40 links verse 40 to verse 39. Verse 39 reads this way, Then why should we, mere humans, complain when we are punished for our sins? Jeremiah was telling these suffering, grieving people to examine themselves to see why they were in the place that they were in. With some of us, the only way that God can get our attention is to allow difficulty into our life. We are called upon and challenged by Jeremiah to examine ourselves. How do we do this? We come before God and honestly take a look at ourselves, seeking God's help in the whole process. This is what David was doing when he prayed, Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my anxieties and see if there is any wicked way in me, and lead me in the way everlasting. That's Psalms 139, verses 23 and 24. In our text, we are presented with a challenge to do three things. First, we are to review our lives. Lamentations 3 and verse 40. Let us search out and examine our ways, and turn back to God. The New Living Translation reads it this way, Instead, let us test and examine our ways. Let us turn again in repentance to the Lord. Notice it says that we are to search out and examine our ways. Often we seek to blame others for our problems. We blame shift. God caused this to happen to me. We blame God. My parents are responsible for this. We blame our parents. 
the federal government has done this to me. We blame the government. It's so much easier to blame others than to take responsibility ourselves. Jeremiah wanted these people to take a careful look at the way that they were living. Did their lives correspond to the way the scriptures tell us to live? The reason we are looking at this is because we're facing a new year in a couple of days from now. And this is a good time to stop and examine what direction our life is going in. What are we for? What are we doing with our lives? What direction does God want us to go in in this new year? Some Christians examine themselves at the beginning of a new year, while others take time to examine themselves during the year. Often people may only examine themselves when they run into problems, and still others may never do it at all. One of the most appropriate times to examine ourselves is before communion. Paul said, Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 28. Examine yourself to see if your faith is really genuine. Test yourself. If you cannot tell that Jesus Christ is among you, it means that you have failed the test. That's 2 Corinthians 13 and verse 5. In both of these scriptures, Paul is speaking of a careful and prayerful review of one's life. In 1 Corinthians 11, he is talking about a careful review of one's life before participating in the table of the Lord. A preparation before participation. This underlines the importance of self-examination. We should examine ourselves. We should review our lives on a regular basis. This should be one of the spiritual disciplines that we practice. There are many different occasions which might facilitate self-examination. Before coming to the table of the Lord, 1 Corinthians 11 and verse 28, Let a man examine himself, and so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. But also during times of failure. The disciples failed to cast out a demon, and they asked Jesus why they couldn't do it. Uh, Jesus replied, this kind does not go out except by prayer and fasting. That's Matthew 17 and verse 21. Fasting is a Christian discipline which involves self-examination. It's during times of failure that one is forced to look at themselves and assess their direction and motives. This self-examination often turns out to be a good thing, which eventually leads to success. So during times of failure, we often are forced to examine ourselves, our lives, and our motives. But also, it's during times of prosperity, when things are going well for you. Luke 12 and verse 15, And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness, for one's life does not consist of the abundance of the things that he possesses. We are often the most vulnerable to Satan during times of prosperity and victory. After Elijah's Mount Carmel victory, he was threatened by Jezebel and plummeted into a depression and wanted to actually end his life. Elijah was vulnerable to attack just after one of his greatest victories at Mount Carmel. We need to examine our lives regularly, but we need to also examine ourselves carefully. A careful, prayerful, objective self-examination, which we should do in partnership with God. That is why David prayed, Search me, O God, in Psalm 139. He asked God to make clear to him his sins. 
the objective of self-examination is to see ourselves as God sees us. Not only do we need to examine ourselves regularly and carefully, but we also need to examine ourselves honestly. We need to be honest with ourselves and with God. We are often blinded to our faults. How do you react when you are criticized? There are often elements of truth in criticism that's leveled against us, and we need to receive this. We need to be big enough to take the valid parts of criticism that's leveled against us, receive it, and respond to it positively. Jeremiah 23 and verse 24. Can anyone hide himself in secret places so I shall not see him, says the Lord? Do I not fill heaven and earth, says the Lord? There is nothing that we can hide from God. Each of us is evaluated from four different viewpoints. From the world's viewpoint, which would include our friends and acquaintances. From your family's viewpoint. From your own viewpoint. And from God's viewpoint. So from these four viewpoints, we are evaluated. Whose evaluation do you think is the most accurate? The world's viewpoint? Probably not. Your family's viewpoint? Yes, your family probably has a greater accuracy in evaluating you. And yet there are still things that you can hide from them. There may be things that they do not know about you. Your own viewpoint? Most of us don't know ourselves and we have blind spots. God's viewpoint will be the most accurate. We can't hide anything from God. There once was a man who took the daily train from New York to Connecticut every morning and evening. One morning he sat in a different car next to a man who he had never seen before. The other man had a box of paper clips on his lap and every five seconds he threw one out the train window. He never said a word. That evening, our commuter went to the same car, hoping to see the paperclip man. There he was, silently, throwing paperclips out the window. Finally, our commuter could stand it no longer. Why in the world do you always throw paperclips out the window? The man looked carefully about, debating whether he could be trusted. Finally, he whispered, It scares the elephants away. Our commuter suppressed a broad grin as he patiently explained. But there are no elephants in Connecticut. Exactly, the man nodded vigorously. See how well it works? The man who disregards any criticism is dishonest with himself and has a no elephants in Connecticut attitude. It is important that we face all criticism honestly and not develop a no-elephants-in-Connecticut attitude. The result of regular, careful, and honest self-examination will be repentance that always brings about positive change in our lives. The objective of self-examination is to see ourselves as God sees us. God is always objective and unbiased. He sees us the way that we really are, not as others think that we are or as we think that we are. The results of a regular, thorough, and honest review of our lives will always lead to the acknowledgement of sin and failure.
Not only are we to review our lives, but secondly, we are to acknowledge our sin. Let's look at our text again, Lamentations 3 and verse 40. Let us search out and examine our ways and turn back to the Lord. And the New Living Translation reads, Instead, let us test and examine our ways. Let us turn again in repentance to the Lord. Acknowledging our sin is part of biblical repentance. Jeremiah says, turn back to the Lord. The New Living Translation is even clearer. Let us turn again in repentance to the Lord. If we need to turn back, then we must have turned away in the first place. We have need to turn back. Then God is behind us and we are facing the wrong way and we are walking in the wrong direction and we need to turn around and walk in the right direction. It is very humbling and hard to see our sin as the Lord reveals it to us. We need to turn back to the Lord when we discover that we have turned away from him. It is so easy to get turned around and find ourselves walking in the wrong direction. The Bible warns us about the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is dangerous because it begins to take root in our heart without us hardly even noticing it. There is a deceitfulness to sin. The writer to the Hebrew says, Exhort one another daily while it is called today, lest any of you be hardened through the deceitfulness of sin. That's Hebrews 3 and verse 13. We are to be on our guard against sin. There is a deceitful aspect to sin that we must be aware of. Times of honest self-examination will go a long way to protect us against the hardening of our hearts through the deceitfulness of sin. Acknowledgement and confession of sin or repentance should be a way of life for the believer. All kinds of consequences result from unrepentance. Look at David's notorious moral lapse recorded in 2 Samuel chapter 11. David had an adulterous relationship with Bathsheba, got her pregnant, and had her husband killed. Uriah was killed to cover up David's sin. After Uriah's death, Bathsheba became David's wife, and life went on as normal. Except for the prophet Nathan, David's friend and advisor, challenged David about his sin. This is found in 2 Samuel chapter 12. These are the words of the Lord from the prophet Nathan. Why then have you despised the word of the Lord and done this horrible deed? For you have murdered Uriah and stolen his wife. From this time on, the sword will be a constant threat to your family because you have despised me by taking Uriah's wife to be your own. That's 2 Samuel 12 verses 9 and 10 in the New Living Translation. God rebuked and challenged David because of his sin and refusal to repent. David attempted to hide his sin from everyone, including God. God exposed his sin through the prophet Nathan. The events of 2 Samuel 11 and 12 span a period of about a year. Psalm 32 and 51 were both written during this period in David's life. So let's look at a couple of verses from each of these Psalms. Psalm 32 verses 1 to 5. Oh, what joy for those whose rebellion is forgiven, whose sin is put out of sight. Yes, what joy for those whose record the Lord has cleared of sin whose lives are lived in complete honesty. 
Yet I refused to confess my sin. I was weak and miserable, and I groaned all day long. Day and night your hand of discipline was heavy on me. My strength evaporated like water in the summer heat. Finally, I confessed my sins to you and stopped trying to hide them. I said to myself, I will confess my rebellion to the Lord, and you forgave me. All of my guilt is gone. Now let's look at Psalm 51, verses 1 to 11. Have mercy upon me, O Lord, according to your loving kindness. According to the multitude of your tender mercies, blot out my transgressions. Wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I acknowledge my transgressions, and my sin is always before me. Against you, you only, have I sinned, and done this evil in your sight, that you may be found just when you speak, and blameless when you judge. Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Behold, you desire truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part you will make me to know wisdom. Purify me with hyssop, and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. Make me hear joy and gladness, that the bones you have broken may rejoice. Hide your face from my sins, and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me away from your presence, and do not take your Holy Spirit from me. David attempted to hide his sin, but God would not withdraw his hand of discipline from David. Finally, God challenged him through the prophet Nathan. Both of these Psalms reflect that period in David's life. The question was asked once, why is it if we are so well educated and smart and gifted and positive and idealistic and religious and civilized that we are so selfish and dishonest and impatient and arrogant and unloving and disrespectful to others? May I suggest that the answer is sin. Man is sinful. Man is sinfully depraved and only God can deliver us from that sinfulness. Why are we so reluctant to admit and acknowledge sin? Our culture has redefined sin. What is sin? Our culture calls it an accident, but God calls it an abomination. Our culture calls it a blunder, but God calls it blindness. Our culture calls it a defect, but God calls it depravity. Our culture calls it a choice, but God calls it a crime. Our culture calls it an error, but God calls it enmity. Our culture calls it a fault, but God calls it a fatality. Our culture calls it an infirmity, God calls it an iniquity. Our culture calls it liberty, God calls it lawlessness. Our culture calls it an oversight. God calls it an offense. Our culture calls it a slip. God calls it a snare. Our culture calls it trivial. God calls it a transgression. Our culture calls it a mistake. God calls it madness. Our culture calls it weakness. God calls it wickedness. Our culture calls it a misunderstanding. 
God calls it missing the mark of God's standard of righteousness. Our culture has a view of sin, and God also has his own view of sin. Our culture minimizes sin and its consequences by redefining it, but God calls it what it is. The confession and acknowledgement of sin is not something that we want to do because it is a sign of weakness to admit our wrong. God's purpose in revealing our sin is to bring us to repentance in order to restore and heal our relationship with God. When King David was confronted with his sin, he repented. This is how we are to respond to personal sin. We should take responsibility for our personal sin and repent. David gives us a clear example of an authentic repentance. The Bible gives us examples of those who repented, but it was not a genuine repentance. Balaam, for instance, repented. He said, I have sinned, for I did not know you stood in the way against me. Now, therefore, if it pleases you, I will turn back. That's Numbers 22 and verse 34. Balaam did not follow through with this repentance, however, but continued in his disobedience. If you look at Numbers chapter 23 and chapter 24, you'll see Balaam's disobedience. The Pharaoh of Egypt repented before Moses during the seventh and eighth plague of Egypt, but it was not a genuine repentance. Look at the words of Pharaoh during the seventh plague. And Pharaoh sent and called for Moses and Aaron and said to them, I have sinned this time. The Lord is righteous and my people and I are wicked. Entreat the Lord that there may be no more mighty thundering and hail, for it is enough. I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. These are the words of Pharaoh. Then Pharaoh called for Moses and Aaron in haste and said, I have sinned against the Lord your God and against you. That's Exodus 10 and verse 16. So these are the words of Pharaoh during the seventh and eighth plague. And yet we know that Pharaoh turned back from his word. Pharaoh said that he was wrong because he wanted the plagues to stop. But this was not a genuine repentance. As we carefully and prayerfully examine ourselves before God, he will show us where we have departed from his word and from his will. When we repent, we turn away from our sin and we turn towards God. We turn away from something, the negative aspect of repentance, and we turn towards something that's a positive aspect of repentance. We turn towards God. We have been talking about acknowledging our sin in repentance. Now let's talk about turning to God, that second aspect of repentance. So not only are we to review our lives, and not only are we to acknowledge our sin, but thirdly, we are to turn to the Lord. Instead, let us test and examine our ways. Let us turn again in repentance to the Lord. Let us lift our hearts and our hands to God in heaven and say, We have sinned and rebelled, and you have not forgiven us. That's Lamentations 3, verses 40 to 42 in the New Living Translation. When we turn back to the Lord, He will receive us, forgive us, and cleanse us. Repentance in the Old Testament is often expressed by the verb to turn, found here in verse 40. 
Jeremiah often uses this verb. Let's look at Lamentations 5 and verse 21. Turn us back to you, O Lord, and we will be restored. Renew our days as of old. That's Lamentations 5 and verse 21. They say if a man divorces his wife and she goes from him and becomes another man's, may he return to her again. Would not that land be greatly polluted? But you have played the harlot with many lovers, yet return to me, says the Lord. That's Jeremiah 3 and verse 1. Here we see the heart of God pleading with sinful Israel to turn to the Lord in repentance. Look at verse 41. Let us lift our hearts and our hands to God in heaven. That's Lamentations 3 and verse 41. The lifting of the hands was a common posture of prayer in ancient Israel. They were to lift their heart with their hands. The emphasis of the heart and the hands indicates an inward submission that must accompany their praying. We pray from the heart. God was calling for genuine, authentic, and sincere repentance that comes from the heart. Look at verse 42. We have sinned and rebelled, and you have not forgiven us. Lamentations 3 and verse 42. Look at the we and you contrast in this verse. We have sinned and rebelled, and you therefore have not forgiven us. God is pleading with Israel, but it doesn't have to be this way. Return to me. You don't have to live in your sin. You don't have to live in your rebellion with its consequences. You can return to me. This was the message of all of the prophets. Turn to the Lord. When we turn to God, what can we expect? First of all, cleansing from sin. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. 1 John 1, 9. We can expect God to forgive us of our sins if we'll confess and acknowledge our sin in repentance. Secondly, full and free pardon. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. That's Isaiah 55 verses 6 and 7. God will fully and freely pardon us if we repent of our sin. Thirdly, healing from backsliding. Return, you backsliding children, and I will heal your backsliding. Indeed, we do come to you, for you are the Lord our God. That's Jeremiah 3 and verse 22. God will heal us of our backsliding. And lastly, acceptance. All that the Father gives me will come to me, and the one who comes to me I will by no means cast out. So this tells us that we will be accepted that the Father will accept us if we will repent of our sin and acknowledge and confess our sin, then God will receive us. He will accept us. He will forgive us. He will heal us of our backsliding. He will fully and freely pardon us, and he will cleanse us from our sin. Solomon prayed as part of the temple dedication prayer in these words in 1 Kings 8. When your people, Israel, are defeated before an enemy because they have sinned against you, and when they turn back to you and confess your name and pray, then hear in heaven and forgive the sin of your people, Israel. 
That's 1 Kings 8, verses 33 and 34. Solomon prayed for God's forgiveness when Israel turned back to God from their sin. Isaiah speaks prophetically of a time in Israel's history when they would hear God's voice and follow God. Your ears shall hear a word behind you saying, This is the way, walk in it. That's Isaiah 30 verse 21. Repentance is not just a one-time event that happens when we are born again. Repentance for the mature Christian should be a way of life. To summarize what we've talked about in this message, we must review our lives. We must acknowledge our sin and we must turn to the Lord. Many people want to make a positive change in their lives. It is evident by simply taking a trip to your local bookstore where you will find shelves of self-help books all on how to change one's life. You will find books that talk about change through crystals, through chants, through meditation, through diet, through exercise, and through horoscopes, and many other ways to affect change in your life. Only God can bring about a true, lasting change that comes forth from the inside out. When we humble ourselves, when we repent, when we invite him to move into our lives and take charge of our lives, then real change can be affected in our lives. Repentance is a way of life. It is something that we will need to do again and again. Repentance comes as we prayerfully and carefully and honestly examine ourselves before Holy God. Join us in two weeks for our next episode of Relevant Truth. Never miss an episode of the podcast by subscribing on iTunes. If you like this podcast, why not rate and review the podcast on iTunes? You can also visit my website, relevanttruthpodcast.com, where you will find an archive of all of my messages and book recommendations. You can also contact me at rockrevmason79 at gmail.com. That is R-O-C-K, rock, R-E-V, rev, M-A-S-O-N, mason, 79 at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.